Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Tonight, the fight for life versus the fight to reopen. Doctors inside a New York hospital are still overwhelmed by the battle against COVID-19. It's been a nightmare. We have a volume of sick people like you can't believe. In one shift, I pronounced six people dead. Meanwhile, across the country, the protests and pressure to get America back to work. But tonight, the new research used by the White House about when it will be safe. And one thing that needs to be in place, Governor Cuomo says he needs thousands of people to track the infected. This is going to be a massive undertaking. And the new technology. Could this drone be a tool to stop the spread? The scientists silenced. Did the Trump administration reassign the nation's top vaccine specialist over that drug the president calls a miracle treatment? Tonight, he says he's speaking out because science and not politics need to lead the way. Danger at America's food plants. New concerns tonight as major meat plants are forced to close because of workers testing positive. What this could mean for our food supply. A reminder of good in this country, health care heroes celebrated in New York and in Virginia, one teen's high-flying mission to get much-needed medical supplies to hospitals. And it's Earth Day, tonight on the 50th anniversary, why the skies are clear and the water is cleaner, the silver lining of a pandemic. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell. Reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. There are two major headlines as we come on the air tonight, putting scientists 
at odds with the Trump administration. Researchers behind one of the leading coronavirus models, one that the White House has repeatedly cited, now says most of the country should not consider lifting stay-at-home orders until the end of May. The new model comes as protests to reopen are growing, and just as some Southern governors are already loosening their restrictions. Meantime tonight, the scientist in charge of coordinating the government's search for a coronavirus vaccine says he has been abruptly ousted from his job because of what he calls politics and cronyism. Dr. Rick Bright, the head of a little-known agency called BARDA, says he was sidelined after refusing to push for what he calls, quote, on-demand access to hydroxychloroquine. That is the drug that President Trump has repeatedly mentioned as a treatment for COVID-19, even though it hasn't been approved for that use. Now, all of this, as the death toll in the U.S. has now passed 46,000. Our team is covering all of the breaking news tonight. CBS's Mola Lenghi leads us off tonight in the epicenter of the outbreak, New York. Mola. Well, Nora, nowhere in the city is that death toll higher per capita than right here in the Bronx. It's why Governor Cuomo insists on expanded testing before easing those stay-at-home orders. Meanwhile, some governors in other states are taking the opposite approach. All this while hospitals continue to deal with life and death on a daily basis. Okay, move, everybody move. At St. Joseph's Medical Center in Yonkers, New York, Life is on a razor's edge when doctors shock this patient's heart, saving him. For now, his fight against coronavirus still continues with the help of a ventilator. As patients fight for survival, debate intensifies over how soon states should reopen for business. A new model often cited by the White House shows no states should reopen before May 1st and that most should not until the end of May. The model shows states like Tennessee shouldn't reopen until May 20th. Texas, June 7th, and Georgia, June 19th. Yet these states plan to partially reopen over the next several days. This afternoon, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt announced he will open his state in phases beginning Friday. As protesters in Richmond, Virginia, some linked to conservative groups, descended on the state capitol, they demanded Virginia be reopened for business. New York, the epicenter of the crisis, is ramping up testing and renewing efforts to find people who have been potentially exposed to the virus. Well, we have to put together a tracing army. This is going to be a massive undertaking. Good news is Mayor Michael Bloomberg has volunteered to help us develop uh, and implement the tracing program. Police in Westport, Connecticut are taking to the skies to test the use of drones fitted with cameras to provide data, including social distancing, heart rate, and fever detection. Beginning this week, new EMT guidelines across the state of New York. Paramedics are not to make life-saving attempts to unresponsive patients. Essentially, do not revive in order to protect first responders from coronavirus exposure. Still, EMTs in New York City say they have yet to adopt the guidelines. The city's 911 calls peaked at nearly 7,300, almost double what used to be a normal day. In recent days, they've returned to pre-coronavirus levels, around 4,000 a day. Still, mostly COVID calls. I've been with the fire department for 19 years, and I've never in life told so many people in one day that their family is no longer going to be with them. Every day, EMT Andrew Brock sees the coronavirus's swift cruelty. With some of them, it's happened so fast. They've been okay and then they just start to feel a little sick one day and then the next day they're gone. At this call, a middle-aged man is suffering from COVID-like symptoms. Family wanted to go get checked out. They're a little worried that they're not gonna see him again. 
Well, Nora, we were also struck by this pretty remarkable scene out of New York this morning. Healthcare volunteers from out of state heading into their final shifts at city hospitals and being applauded, as you can see, by police officers as they boarded their buses to work. With the cases flattening here in the city, they can now head home with their heads held high as heroes. Nora. And thanked by the NYPD. Mola, thank you. Tonight, the man who led the government's race to a vaccine is blowing the whistle and calling for an investigation. Rick Bright says he was removed from his job after pressing for rigorous vetting for a drug embraced by President Trump as a miracle treatment. Bright said science must always trump politics. It's all unfolding late tonight, and CBS's Paula Reed is at the White House. Paula? Nora, CBS News has learned that this key official who spent his entire career on vaccine development was pushing for more rigorous testing of these treatments endorsed by President Trump right before he was pushed out of his position. The explosive charge came from Rick Bright, who said he was dismissed yesterday after pushing for a more thorough vetting of hydroxychloroquine, a malaria drug the president has pushed as a possible breakthrough for coronavirus. Bright said the administration has pressured me and other conscientious scientists to fund companies with political connections, as well as efforts that lack scientific merit. He added that sidelining me in the middle of this pandemic and placing politics and cronyism ahead of science puts lives at risk. The president has touted the promise of hydroxychloroquine many times, despite questions raised previously by many other health officials about its effectiveness. Based on what I see, it could be a game changer. As the president praised states who are moving to reopen their economies, new modeling used by the White House now predicts nearly 66,000 could die by August, a significant increase from what the president claimed earlier this week. It looks like we'll be at about a 60,000 mark. The president's own CDC director, Robert Redfield, warned a second wave of the virus that could coincide with the opening of flu season this fall will actually be even more difficult than the one we just went through. Mr. Trump said Redfield had been misquoted. I didn't say that this was going to be worse. I said it was going to be more complicated or more difficult and potentially complicated because we'll have flu and coronavirus circulating at the same time. But epidemiologists agree that a second wave is possible and that it could overwhelm the healthcare system. If we have an overlap uh, of COVID patients, a rise in COVID patients at the same time we have a rise in flu season, that could be difficult for hospitals to manage. Tonight, Dr. Redfield confirmed that quote he gave to the Washington Post was accurate. Meanwhile, Dr. Bright is calling for an inspector general investigation to examine whether this administration is politicizing scientific research. Nora. All right, Paula, thanks for that reporting. And now to California tonight. It is the first state to recommend expanding COVID-19 testing for asymptomatic people in high-risk places like prisons and nursing homes. And there are new questions tonight about the coronavirus timeline. When did the first person die from the disease here in the U.S.? We've got more now from CBS's Jamie Yukas. The news of a COVID-19 death in Washington state February 26th shocked Americans. But now an autopsy confirms a Northern California death 20 days earlier. We had community transmission probably to a significant degree far earlier than we had known. Today, Governor Gavin Newsom called for a broader investigation. Well, we've actually directed beyond just Santa Clara, go back as far as December 
um, to request coroner's uh, autopsy uh, to dig even deeper. UC Berkeley epidemiologist Dr. Art Reingold. Do you think that this is much more widespread on the West Coast than we even realized? Most people in California remain susceptible to this infection. So uh, three, four percent of the population may have antibodies, but the vast majority of us uh, remain uninfected and at risk. California has seen a 67% jump in deaths in the last week. The state will now test more asymptomatic people in high-risk environments. I do think we're flattening the curve. Jason Knoll is recovering from the COVID-19 infection he got in early March. I think we're saving lives now, which is, I think is a good thing. Um, I do think at the time maybe there were a lot of people that should have been taking it a lot more seriously, though. Governor Newsom says the state has not met his criteria for lifting that stay-at-home order. One of them is testing. That's why they hope to have 86 new testing sites up and running soon. Nora? Jamie, thank you. Tonight, the U.N. is warning that the pandemic is putting the world at risk of widespread famines of biblical proportions. There are growing concerns about food supplies in this country, especially in America's meat industry. An explosion of coronavirus cases is forcing some meat packing plants to shut down. We've got more now from CBS's Janet Shamlian. A major pork processing plant is the latest to close. Tyson Foods in Waterloo, Iowa where 2,800 workers process nearly 20,000 hogs a day. It comes after an outbreak of at least 180 COVID-19 cases there and after Iowa lawmakers filed an OSHA complaint, even though the state's governor resisted. We can work with different uh, processing facilities across the state to keep the processing plants up and going. A USA Today investigation found 150 of the nation's largest plants are in counties where the infection rate is spiking threatening not only workers, but potentially the food supply. Any plant or factory across the country could become the number one hotspot next week uh, if they do not take this issue seriously. Processing plants can be a breeding ground for the virus because many workers spend their day side by side. This man who recovered from COVID-19 and asked we not use his name, works at Smithfield Foods in South Dakota. We are very close. We can use a social distance at that place. Tonight, there is increasing concern about the supply of meat and poultry. The Agriculture Department reports beef production is already down 19% from a year ago. Are we going to be going through a meat shortage in the United States? You know, you may not get the exact product that you want when you go to the store, but we did not expect, I would not expect uh, a protein shortage. And tonight, CBS News has learned that Tyson has closed yet another of its plants, this time in Indiana. And here in Texas, public health officials are now investigating outbreaks at two rural processing plants, areas where hospitals and resources are thin. Nora. All right, Janet, thank you. Tonight, a new study lists the underlying conditions that increase risk for coronavirus patients. The top three, hypertension, obesity, and diabetes. Those are more likely to be found among African Americans, a community where the virus is taking an especially heavy toll. CBS's Jeff Begays reports tonight from Baltimore. COVID-19 has left two gaping holes in Sandy Thomas's life. Mommy and Penny are gone. And it's very sad and lonely in there. On March 18th, her 87-year-old mother, Gertrude, was admitted to a Baltimore hospital. Just five days later, her sister, Penny, was too. 
Both died within days of each other in the same intensive care unit. Are you holding it together? Through the grace of God. In Maryland, blacks account for 31% of the population, but almost 45% of the coronavirus deaths. In Louisiana, African Americans make up 33% of the population, but 56% of the dead. Cities like New York, Chicago, and Washington, D.C. also show similar disparities. Dr. Selwyn Vickers says historical inequity plays a role. They are the ones that not only will have limited access to care at times, but also have a high rate of pre-existing conditions. This week, the NAACP sounded the alarm through Baltimore streets. The messaging, the public health guidance, just simply was not penetrating uh, certain segments of our community. Now, Thomas's 39-year-old nephew has tested positive, too. She is pleading for everyone to take the threat seriously. My mother and my sister are gone. They were doing everything they were told to do, and yet it still got them. The CDC is still gathering data on how the coronavirus impacts communities of color. Critics of the agency's response say this lack of data right now is making it harder to respond to this crisis in the nation's neediest communities. Nora. All right, Jeff, thank you. And tonight, our friend Gail King will anchor a one-hour special on BET, our sister network at Viacom CBS, COVID-19, Black America's Fight, followed by Saving Ourselves, a BET COVID-19 relief effort to support communities of color. Tonight, we mark the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. There were supposed to be big celebrations around the world, but instead, people are celebrating inside, and they're celebrating cleaner air and cleaner water. Here's CBS's John Blackstone with tonight's Eye on Earth. On this Earth Day, the out of doors is largely out of bounds. Parks and beaches are closed. Even picnic tables are off limits. I imagine this is a much different Earth Day 50 than you had expected to be. Michael Brun is executive director of the Sierra Club. Yeah, we, we expected to see hundreds of millions of people out in the streets. There were dozens of exhibits. In 1970, on the first Earth Day, demonstrators filled cities around the world. Today, those streets are largely empty, but the air, temporarily at least, is cleaner. There are a whole bunch of people around the world who are seeing blue skies above their cities for the first time. Technology forecaster Paul Sappho says that may help clear the air in the future. All of this enforced working at home will have a huge impact. It is completely culturally acceptable to work at home where even three months ago people would have winced at that. Earth Day is dedicated to all species and while humans are locked down, wildlife's filling the void. In Yosemite, animals aren't hiding from visitors. On Florida's coast, manatees are showing up in unusual numbers. Right in front of our apartment. From goats in a deserted town in Wales to lions lounging on a road in South Africa, nature seems to be saying, we can get along fine without you. We all need nature a lot more than nature needs us. Perhaps more than ever, this Earth Day is a reminder of how much there is out there to cherish. John Blackstone, CBS News, San Francisco. There's a remarkable effort underway to airlift vital supplies to hospitals, and you might be surprised by who's in the cockpit. CBS's Chris Van Cleve has the story. It's an airborne mission of mercy by a 16-year-old high school sophomore. 
TJ Kim is using his weekly flying lesson to deliver much needed personal protective equipment to rural hospitals across Virginia. What was it about the rural hospitals that, that jumped out at you? Kind of just how like forgotten they are, these rural hospitals that are really in need and not just the hospitals that everyone wants to help. With sports canceled and classes now online, Kim wanted to fill the downtime by doing something to help. So during the week, he and his father gather the supplies and every weekend, loaded down with boxes of life-saving gear, TJ takes off. His Operation SOS, Supplies Over Skies, destination on this day, Rappahannock General. It's about two and a half hours outside of Washington, D.C. It's the only hospital for 35 miles in any direction. Every little bit helps. Kimberly Headley handles supplies for the hospital. She and about a half dozen co-workers came to Hummel Field to cheer the soft-spoken teen who hopes to attend the Naval Academy one day. I just told him how thankful we are and thank you because I really truly believe as big as his project is, his heart is actually bigger. It's got to make you feel pretty special. Yeah, how I see it is I'm just helping in whatever way I can. A life lesson worth learning at any altitude. Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, Topping, Virginia. On tomorrow's CBS Evening News, strange things happen when people and their pets are cooped up together. Love that story. And if you can't watch us live, don't forget to set your DVR so you can watch us later. That is tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Stay safe and good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.